Hurricane Epsilon. Where's it heading next? It'll be a very powerful cyclone with a large circulation, so we do expect some very windy conditions. Latest climate projections released for the UK. You can think about the impact on, say, the rail sector, buckling of rails and delays on the rail lines. And the first military weather reports. The response from the British Army was that the Army does not go to war with umbrellas. It's Friday the 23rd of October and you're listening to Weathersnap from the Met Office. Hi, I'm Claire Nazir and this is Weathersnap, the insider's guide to the week's weather brought to you direct from Met Office HQ. The hurricane season this year seems relentless. With alphabetic names exhausted, we are now well into Greek letters, Alpha, Beta, Gamma, Delta and now Epsilon. Here with the latest tropical prediction scientist, Julian Hemming. Epsilon developed in the central part of the uh, North Atlantic. Uh, initially, it wasn't actually a tropical system. It was a non-tropical low area of low pressure. And gradually it acquired tropical characteristics, which means it's had very uh, intense thunderstorms around the centre. And actually, just recently, it's intensified quite rapidly and developed a very nice uh, looking eye on Wednesday. And it became a major hurricane, which is the fourth one we've had of the season. It's expected to track northwestwards and then northwards, and it will pass just to the east of Bermuda and then head up into the higher latitudes uh, over the weekend and into next week. Bermuda seems to get its fair share of hurricanes, considering how small it is. Yes, Bermuda is very small. It's only about 20 miles long by about two miles wide. So it's a fairly small area for a a tropical cyclone to hit. Uh, Having said that, it is in a zone of the Atlantic, which is a place where a lot of uh, tropical cyclones track through. So if you you produced a kind of heat map showing historically where all tropical cyclones tracked in the Atlantic, then there is a zone close to Bermuda, which is where you have the the strongest heat, if you like, uh, the the area where a lot of tropical cyclones track because um, a lot of them do track northwestwards and then undergo what we call recurvature which is where they turn northwards and then turn back in the opposite direction towards the northeast and the east into higher latitudes. Where is it going next then? This is Hurricane Epsilon. In this instance it'll maintain its strength as it moves into the subtropics and up towards the mid-latitudes. It'll no longer be a hurricane by then and we expect Epsilon to interact with another area of low pressure coming off the coast of Canada over the next few days and become a very powerful extratropical cyclone in the North Atlantic. Uh, Now we don't expect it to directly impact the UK, we expect the low centre itself to pass to the northwest, uh, maybe more in the direction of Iceland and Greenland. But having said that, it'll be a very powerful cyclone with a large circulation, so we do expect some very windy conditions. Let's see what happens next. Julian Hemming, thank you very much. The UK Climate Projections, or UKCP, provides the most up-to-date assessment of how the UK climate may change into the future. This information determines future risk assessments and adaption plans. Here to explain the significance of the latest report, Met Office climate correspondent Graham Madge. So what we've done is we've updated and refreshed UKCP. It's been running in its current form for two years. And what we've done now is we've been able to look at not just average weather conditions, but weather extremes as well. And that's in very important 
addition for industry and those sectors of the economy and community that need to assess risk. So extremes is something we've experienced a lot through the summer. So we're talking about extremes in terms of temperature, rainfall and also drought, I presume. Yes. So if you look at, for example, within a city, let's take London, for example, planners might want to know what sort of temperature extremes we might expect. That's very useful information for health service and health professionals to understand impacts on communities. There will be those involved with flood defence that will want to know about extreme rainfall. And what we've done is we've looked at all of those different metrics right out to the end of the century and we've provided what we think is the best information for one in 20, one in 50 and one in 100 year events. So the key word there is planning and this report as you said provides a rigorous set of tools for anything from policymakers to big business and it really is the best window we have on the future of a changing world So a lot of applications. There's a lot of data in that. It's a really thick report. I presume you've read it. I've tried to. And it's a good idea, really, that when it comes to this type of information that we have climate scientists to really weigh through those numbers and come out with some good conclusions. There's a lot of uncertainty in this, Claire, and we have to recognise that. But what we do know is that the climate is changing. Clearly, the projections, as you say, are the best window that we have of the future. And they're very important for individual users. But of course, they do feed into the national picture as well. So the results coming out from UKCP will be feeding into the latest edition of the UK's climate change risk assessment. It's not only climate scientists involved in this report, it's people who understand how it can be applied most effectively to the real world. These projections need to be used. And one of the things the Met Office is doing is talking to a whole range of different organisations and groups, one of which is the business and industry sector. And earlier this week, I spoke to Tom Butcher, who is our head of industrial consultancy, to find out what reaction there has been about climate change from that community. Well, some of the key areas that businesses are looking at are, first of all, the physical risks to assets. And if you take something like Heatwave, for example, uh, you can think about the impact on, say, the rail sector from higher temperatures and extreme heat conditions that cause buckling of rails and results in delays on the rail lines. The energy sector is impacted from high temperatures because overhead power lines sag and you can put less current through them. Flooding is also a big risk associated with climate change that people want to understand, particularly with reference to the long-term resilience and the design of new infrastructure. But the businesses we're working with are also thinking about some of the broader risks associated with climate change. And this includes things like risk to supply chain. So will you still be able to get the same commodity crops from the same regions of the world in 20 or 30 years time? So Graeme, where can we find more information on this UKCP report? 
there's a lot more information available on the Met Office website from uh, just typing UKCP into Google. And then if you're an expert user, you can actually explore yourself because this is something that has been designed very much with individuals in mind. And we want users to be able to explore the data to find certain combinations that uh, give them the best results they want for whatever query they're trying to investigate. And this is the most important way forward when it comes to climate science, isn't it? It has to be practical. It has to have applications which we can apply to the real world. And in fact, um, Doug McNeil and the Mostly Weather podcast team are talking to two of the climate scientists involved in this report on our Mostly Weather podcast, which is out now. Graham Madge, thank you very much. Storm Barbara, named by the Spanish Met Service, made its presence known across southern Britain on Wednesday. The floodgates now seem to be open for more wet and windy weather, this time coming in from the Atlantic. Here with the outlook for the next few days, Alex Deacon. Yes, the jet stream is really active at the moment across the Atlantic, spiralling in from North America straight across, powering an area of low pressure that's going to bring us a pretty lively weekend. This weekend completely different to last weekend when the winds were light, high pressure was dominant, there wasn't much rain around. This one, low pressure, a bound of rain will swing across the country during Saturday. Could be some quite heavy downpours mixed in with that as it moves through. Followed on by some brighter skies in the afternoon, but also plenty of heavy showers across Scotland and Northern Ireland. It will be a gusty day. It could be quite mild, actually. Temperatures might reach 15 or 16 degrees, maybe 17 across the southeast before the rain arrives. But it's going to feel colder because of the wind. Now, the winds ease a touch on Sunday, but Sunday is still a blustery day. And there'll still be showers around, particularly in the west. Southwest England, South Wales and Western Scotland bearing the brunt of the heavy showers through Sunday. Elsewhere, a few showers, but certainly across many eastern areas, Sunday looks largely dry and bright and we will see some spells of sunshine as well. Still blustery and temperatures struggling 10 to 14 Celsius. As Claire mentioned, the floodgates are now open to more Atlantic weather systems coming in and we're going to see further spells of wet and windy weather, it looks like, for most of next week. There are some signs as we change month the start of November could start to see high pressure building across the south. But that's a long way off. More wet and windy weather to come over the next week. Thanks, Alex. This week sees the anniversary of the first operational military forecast issued by the Met Office. The first report, dated the 24th of October 1916, provided vital information on wind speed and direction. This was used for artillery planning and to predict the impacts of enemy gas attacks. Martin Bowles picks up the story. The Met Office wasn't involved in military forecasting until the outbreak of the First World War. When weather forecasting was first proposed, the response from the British Army was that the Army does not go to war with umbrellas. Attitudes soon changed following losses in the air, though, and when gas was introduced as a weapon on the battlefield. The Meteorological Field Service, otherwise known as Meteor RE, was established in the summer of 1915. Based at British Expeditionary Force General Headquarters at Montreux in France, the new service boasted a staff of just three. Meteor RE provided a number of key services. To protect against gas attack, meteorological observers were stationed on the front line. 
monitoring wind direction and strength. These observations were also used to assist Allied plans for gas attacks. Weather reports were of interest to the artillery too. They used details of high-level winds to launch balloons from which pilots searched for enemy equipment and targets. Similarly, the fledgling Royal Flying Corps used cloud and fog reports to plan their aerial operations. Meteor RE was soon in high demand with operatives stationed on all fronts. By October 1915, the section included a commandant, a captain, six subalterns, 16 corporals, one clerk, six batmen and one driver. Though Meteor RE provided regular observations, it was the Battle of the Somme in 1916 that prompted calls for daily reports as heavy rain and waterlogged conditions brought operations to a standstill. Although early forecasts were brief, they soon developed to include synoptic charts for northwest France and observations provided by pilots. The first weather charts were hand-drawn, which greatly limited production and circulation. But as their value became recognised, production was ramped up through the use of clay copiers. All of this work was supported by a growing body of climatological knowledge. In turn, the weather data gathered at military fronts provided meteorologists with a better understanding of weather patterns. Though it took time for the impact of weather on the battlefield to be fully appreciated and understood, it was a lesson that was not forgotten. By 1918, weather forecasting had become a firmly embedded element of military strategy. Met Office personnel went on to play key roles on all fronts in World War II, most famously advising the Allies on weather conditions in the run-up to D-Day. And today, British forces around the globe continue to be supported by Met Office staff serving with the Mobile Meteorological Unit. Martin Bowles ending that feature. Now, just before we go, last week's highs and lows. Here are your weekly weather extremes from Monday the 12th of October to Sunday the 18th of October. The highest maximum occurred on Wednesday the 14th in Armagh in Northern Ireland with a high of 17.2 Celsius. The coldest night was into Thursday morning where Tyndrum in Stirling recorded a low of minus 3.3 Celsius. Aberporth in Ceredigion had the sunniest day with 9.8 hours of sunshine, that was on Thursday the 15th. And the highest daily rainfall in one day was on Tuesday at Capelcurig in Carnarvonshire with 21.8 millimetres. That's it for Weathersnap. I'm Claire Nazir. Producer is Adrian Holloway. Do join us again next time when we take a closer look at the science behind the weather and climate headlines. Weather Snap is a podcast by the UK Met Office.